Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. It's time for Warriors This Week. Shot clock down to 10. Cool dribble drive to Thompson in the corner. He'll launch with five and the three and say goodnight. Now, here's Sean Dickinson. Yeah, it's John Dickinson, and it's Evan Giddings sitting in for Whitey Gleason here. Good Saturday morning to you, as always. We're going to be with you here for the next three hours. As always, we're going to be taking your phone calls and your text messages at 888-957-9570 as we get you set up for the Warriors and the Kings Game 4 of the first round of the NBA playoffs, which are coming your way right here at 95.7 The Game tomorrow, 1230 Warriors Live is at 11. Want to let everybody know, and I will throughout the course of the program today, you can join me at Harmonic Brewing and Thrive City right outside of Chase Center as Warriors Live is going to start a little bit early, 11 o'clock tomorrow. So stop by, say hi, have a brew, get some food before you head into Chase, and you can enjoy Warriors Live from 11 to 12 before the Warriors and the Kings. Evan, good to be with you, my man. Uh, welcome in, and... We got a lot going on here in this series. Yes, we do, JD. It's a pleasure to be with you here until one o'clock on this beautiful Saturday, a gorgeous day because, look, it's the day before game four. It's been an exciting series thus far. Sacramento grabbing the first two games, Golden State responding with a haymaker in game three. And now it does feel like it's a little like this series is now getting to start, okay? We've seen each side throw their best punch to this point, and now we get to see what the response is finally from Sacramento as the Warriors, of course, held serve at home court. Yeah, it's all about adjustments and the emotional adjustment and the back and forth of you know, whoever wins game one. There's this added pressure on on whoever loses for the next game and who's then got the momentum you go down 0-2 and then and then there's obviously a must-win situation for the Warriors in game three they come through and now the question sort of shifts to do the Warriors have something on them did the Warriors figure something out and I, I, I go back to to what Steve Kerr said after the game on Thursday which is basically nothing's happened yet yeah and, and I had <laughs> kind of the the paralyzing thought yesterday as I was getting ready to do my hit with with you guys, with Steiny and Guru here, and I thought, wow, if this series goes seven, and it already has felt like it's gone on for about three weeks. If this series goes seven, it's not even half over yet. No. When you start thinking about everything that's gone on in this series, it's like, damn. No, hey, look, this is going to be the most stressful first-round series in the dynasty. It already has been, and the fact that they were down 2-0, understood the situation, I mean, they alluded to it before the game. Steph Curry talked about it after the game. Even though you're not mathematically eliminated, everything does rest on Game 3 when you're down 2-0 at home. And they responded the way that you would expect defending champions to respond. Now, the question is, with this team and everything that they've been through this year, each time it feels like they've turned the corner, they've kind of reset a little bit. The question is now, can Sacramento, who has been the road warriors in the West this year, try and come out and regain some of that magic they found in the first two games, and especially in the last five minutes of each of those games, which were very tight, very close, despite them winning? And now if you're the Warriors, well, you're going to have to reintegrate Draymond Green. Does GP2 play in Game 4? How does Stephen Curry maintain the aggression and the dominance that he did in Game 3? Is Kevon Looney more of a factor? There are a lot of questions entering this game four and of course we're going to hear from some of the Warriors later on today at, at practice and so heading into tomorrow we'll have maybe some more clarity to those questions but that's what we got to talk about for the next three hours Jay a lot to get into yeah and and you can start really with with Draymond Green because yep. he is going to be back for the Warriors after missing game three due to the suspension and and I was stunned as I mentioned yesterday and on Warriors wrap-up on Thursday at just how many callers 
unsolicited. <laughs> hey, the, the Warriors figured it out, but they figured it out because Draymond wasn't here. And you look at the game you know, Kevon Looney had with the the 429 line with the nine assists Iconic. for Kevon Looney and the, the job that he did against Sabonis, which is a job that he's done pretty effectively in, in two of the first three games, although I think even though Sabonis had a decent line in game two, the, the Warriors are making him work for, for everything that he's had to get in this series. But the fact that Looney and Draymond were separated, the fact that the ball was moving a little bit better, the Warriors were a little more patient and less frenetic. Look, to me, it's all silliness. Mm-hmm. Like, like Maybe there is something, too, for that one night. It upset the apple cart a little bit for, for Sacramento and, and what they had logged in their scouting report as, hey, we know everything the Warriors are going to do, and Mike Brown knows the playbook, and and he's going to make life difficult on, on the Warriors. All right, maybe they flipped the spread a little bit on them in, in Game 3. But to me, that was survival for the Warriors. That That's no way to live in, in this series as it moves forward to just think that, that maybe you're better off with Draymond without Draymond Green being in the fold. How do you work him back in? To me, it's more about the different lineup combinations and not necessarily the starting lineup, which hasn't really been a problem for the Warriors in this series. It's maybe Draymond's going to play a little less. Maybe Draymond's going to play with some different combinations and try to treat Game 4 like a kitchen sink game the way they did in Game 3, but only with two really good additional pieces in Draymond and potentially Gary Payton II to add to the mix. To me, that should not be viewed as anything more than a positive for the Warriors, who maybe are starting to figure some things out about Sacramento, but then you're adding two good players, capable defenders, back in to, to help, you know, just to help keep turning this thing in their direction. Yeah, look, I, I think a big storyline in Game 3 was kind of the the difference in rotations by necessity, right? Because with Draymond Green and GP2 out, you're down two of your better defenders. And I think, like, if you want to say Mike Brown had an idea of what the Warriors were going to do with the familiarity he had, and maybe that helped them down the stretch of Games 1 and 2, I'll, I'll hear that. And then in Game 3, by the property of disassociation, you know, you're not exactly able to sort of have a good idea of what the Warriors will be. But I think Steve Kerr made some adjustments specifically to Stephen Curry's minutes. You know, we saw him come out a little bit earlier in the first and the third than usual, playing the majority of the second and the fourth. And maybe that's where you see Draymond Green along with Kevon Looney because Steve Kerr has said multiple times he likes to stagger minutes so that one of them is on Sabonis at all times. Kevon Looney, of course, had to draw the bulk of that assignment, and the fact that he wasn't in foul trouble I thought played a big role in what he was able to do in Game 3, especially with his aggression on the offensive glass. But if you are the Warriors right now, as it pertains to Draymond Green, to me it's it's a no-brainer. He's back in, and he's back playing the way that he used to because generally when Draymond Green has gone through a, a situation like this, whether it's an ejection, whether it's a bad game, it's a technical foul, it's a kerfuffle with a teammate or an opposing team, he has responded, and he always, I, I mean, I imagine that with him at home during Game 3, he's watching each and every one of those plays saying, here's how I can be better, here's how I need to affect the game, whether it's passing or defense. To me, Draymond Green, I don't have any problem assuming that he'll be back and better than before, because that's what he's been. In the finals last year, him getting benched against Memphis, him getting ejected, each time that he has been kind of lowered or or humbled, so to speak, he's come back even better, and so I expect to see him on Game 4. Yeah, you mentioned two of of what have been many instances where we've seen this before with Draymond and the most recent two. In the finals where Steve Kerr had to sit him down and and in Memphis after he got ejected in that wild Game 1 for the the jersey pull on Brandon Clark, and he has, I think at times, needed a little bit of a reset or a little bit of a breather from maybe getting a little too wound up in in some of these series. I think he was too wound up as far as the crowd and everything that was going on in Boston and and all of the ugliness, and he admitted as much on his own podcast that that he was letting that impact him too much, and Mm -hmm. it it was a, a raucous atmosphere. I think the Warriors were, and we've seen this with them, they they play a little too 
a little too angry or like there's a little too much of a weight on them. And I think that was a theme through the first two games of this series is for the most part, everything was a struggle. Even when they played well, it was a struggle because you'd look up and you'd think, oh, they should be up 10 and they would be up two or, oh, they should be up five and they were down four somehow. And and there was always this notion that they were playing uphill, trying yeah. to climb the mountain. So I, I, I'm with you as far as Draymond being able to watch the game at home and just get a, some fresh eyes on everything the Kings are doing, what the Warriors game plan was, and how he can come back and and add to it because what works in one game in a playoff series doesn't necessarily work for the remainder of the series. There's the constant adjustments back and forth. Well, and look, we'll never know because Draymond was ejected for the final, you know, few minutes of of game 2, but the fact that the Warriors couldn't get a stop on the last 9 of 11 possessions down the stretch of that game in the fourth quarter, I would imagine Draymond Green would be able to affect that a little bit. Who knows if the Warriors lose game two if he gets ejected. I think that's some of the frustration that fans are carrying with Draymond, knowing that that game was winnable if he was still on the court. And so now game three, they come out and they look like world beaters. Part of that is Sacramento couldn't hit the broadside of a barn from three-point range. Part of that was DeMontis Sabonis had another bad game and Kevon Looney was able to sort of neutralize him. And it didn't look like the Warriors missed Draymond Green, but that doesn't mean they're a better team without Draymond Green. And if he plays the final seven minutes of that fourth quarter in Game 2, this might be a 2-1 series in favor of Golden State. So I'm 100% with you. I do understand where maybe the prisoner of the moment has people thinking that the Warriors could do this without Draymond. In my opinion, and I think you're on the same page, J.D., they were able to survive that yeah. game. They were able to win that game due to individual factors and the rest of the team stepping up, knowing the job that they had to do, knowing the position they would be in if they lost that game, more so than, hey, we're a better team without Draymond Green. It was pretty incredible that without two of your best three defenders, maybe your top two defenders, I'd, I'd probably throw Wiggins in, in that category as far as Draymond and, and Wiggins and, and GP2, just in terms of guys that are playing the most minutes that are the best defenders. Either way you slice it, for the Warriors to have their best defensive game of the series – and slow down Sacramento essentially to a level that they hadn't been slowed down to all season when they're routinely putting up 118 to 130 basically on a nightly basis. And, I mean, that was a stunner. And, you know, we've seen this with the Warriors in the past where you do get up to nothing, you go on the road, and you can make the case that it was a missed opportunity for Sacramento to effectively end the series by going up 3 nothing. But it was the first road game for this group of, of young kings. And traditionally, you get up 2-0, you go on the road, and game three is the game three is the freebie. Game three is the game that you do not have to get. And we saw the Warriors, I think, in the early going of their dynasty, that you know, that game three would be one that that they would lose. Like that's just to kind of look at the Celtics last night. They go into Atlanta, they've for the most part dominated the Hawks. It's game three. And the Hawks get one. And so a lot of these series do play out that way. If I'm the Kings, that's what I'm trying to tell myself, that, yeah. hey, it doesn't matter, come back out. But I think the question is, as it relates to the first two games and what did you see in game three and how does everything change again moving forward, the Warriors could make a hell of a case that they had control of game one, let it slip away. Mm-hmm. Let Fox get going down the stretch of that game. Didn't win it. And and really, other than the stretch run of the first two games, the Warriors' defense has been excellent in this series, top to bottom. Now, they haven't, again, been able to stop the Kings in the clutch in the two games that were close. That's a major problem if that continues because the Warriors are going to have to win a close game or two, I think, of the final three that they're going to have to win in, in this series. But... In the big picture, grand scheme of things, I think the Warriors have to be happy with their defense. The question and the plotting, you know, all right, step by step, is are they figuring their offense out a little bit as this series continues? Yeah, and I think that's a big reason why there was no sense of panic after Game 2. Now, guys are going to come out and publicly state that if there is, but the second half of Game 1 got away from you 71 points from the Kings because of offensive rebounds. 
Game two, outside of the second quarter, in which they scored 40 or 41, the Warriors were pretty good defensively until the last you know five and a half minutes it's, of the game. It's just been these little stretches. You're right. It, like Beginning of the second quarter in game two, it was late in the third quarter, early fourth quarter in game one, and then Fox started doing his thing, and yep. he's tough to stop when he gets that, that momentum. But for lengthy stretches of this series, the Warriors' defense has been more than what it's going to need to be to win the series. Now, again, you still got to play much better defense if you do find yourself in those close games, and the Warriors were unable in the first two games to give themselves enough separation to where they had a little cover. You almost have to give yourself a little pad against the Kings because they've been so good in the clutch, five points or less in the Mm -hmm. final five minutes with that just complete outlier of an offensive rating, 10.2 points better than the next team in the league. Well, and it's also kind of been a running theme for the Warriors. Like, they have struggled, especially in kind of those last minute, two minute of quarters throughout this season. And it hasn't been the entire regular season, but we've seen plenty of examples, J.D., of a a mini 5-0, 6-0 spurt from a team to either get back into the game or extend their lead at the end of a half or the third quarter. And that flipped a little bit in Game 3 in favor of the Warriors. You see Dante DiVincenzo's Steph Curry impression at the end of the first quarter. Kevon Looney's offensive rebound kicked out to, to Steph for the three right before the half to put him up 12 where it would have been 9. Those are possessions that the Warriors may be allowed to get stolen from them in the first two games of this series. And in Game 3, for whatever reason, I would reckon to believe a little more focus was on their side down those in those situations being the reason but they got those wins in those possessions and I think that's a big reason why they were not only able to separate but then control the pace and the game when they wanted to all right he's Evan Giddings I'm John Dickinson 888-957-9570 it's Warriors this week here on a Saturday we're with you until one o'clock here on 95.7 the game appreciate everybody who's watching on YouTube and Twitch as well Hello to everybody there as we come to you on 95.7 The Game. All right, let's get to the phones, 888-957-9570. Let's get it tipped off this morning with Will in Berkeley here on 95.7 The Game. What's going on, Will? Good morning morning. to you. Good morning. How are you guys? Um, I love what you said, J.D., about sort of their mindset um, because I think they were sort of irritated by Sacramento. And, you know, we normally see the Warriors play with joy. And I think for a long time they didn't have the joy um, going on to road games. And I think right now they're sort of trying to figure out how to get back that joy. And so it is a growth mindset for them to sort of feel, feel like maybe it's an FU mindset. Maybe it's like a, you know, I'm going to get mine, you know, because I got four rings or whatever. But I think they need to get back to basics with playing with some sort of like rhythm or uh, some sort of like uh, groove to the game because right now they're sort of like getting irritated by this, you know, the games have not been that, that big. They haven't been blowouts. They've been like seven, eight point, you know, kind of stances. And so I think, you know, if they can get over the hump and play with a little bit more joy, I think they would get, get right back in the groove. Thanks for the call. Mm-hmm. Well, they're starting to find it. They're starting to find it. I think the home cooking helped that. I think the weight, you know, not having the weight of playing a close game, I thought, as much as you couldn't expect that to be a key, playing shorthanded, it wound up being something that they could do. And I think just not just the deep breath of, oh, all right, fourth quarter, don't have to sweat out if De'Aaron Fox is going to try to take this thing over. It's going to be two to one. You got through the Draymond thing, Peyton's illness. Hopefully, he's good to go for tomorrow. And then you just you're you're able to to build a little bit of not momentum, not in that it really relates to the next game, but you're just feeling better about yourself going into that game, knowing that you've got to bring it at that same level one more time. No, and I think that's a good clarification. The momentum in-game compared to momentum game-to-game, which is kind of a fallacy in, in playoff basketball. There is something to be said for a team figuring out what the other wants to do and then being able to utilize that, and that's been a common theme for the Warriors throughout their playoff runs. When they have figured out a team, they have typically gone on to control that series and, quite frankly, finish it quickly. They did it last year in the first round against Denver. They did it in the conference finals against Dallas. And then, of course, after they fell down 2-1 and got that game 4-1 in Boston, they kind of ran away with the rest of the series. That is a common theme of these Warriors of the past. 
But for this team, every single every single game has just been so difficult to figure out that it, you know, I, I think a big part of it was the fact that there was no clutch time as we're talking about in game three. Who knows? If if it comes down the stretch of game four, Sacramento might feel more comfortable in that situation, even if it's on the road, because they have won those games all year long. Yes, they have. And that's something that the Warriors unfortunately cannot say as much as Sacramento, even though they have that championship pedigree. They didn't look like they were able to get stops when they needed to in games one and game two with or without Draymond Green and Gary Payton second. So I'm not necessarily saying that you know the Sacramento Kings have a you know a clutch time advantage, but it does feel like if we're looking at kind of the inexperience versus experience, this season is where the Kings have cohesively been able to put things together when they've needed to more than the Warriors have. I think it's fair to just put the rat on the table and say that the Kings right now do have a clutch time advantage. They they were better in those situations in the regular season, and there have been two opportunities in the first two games of this series, albeit in their building which I think helped their focus, intensity, and and in particular defensive effort. Mm-hmm. Like That was one thing that I, I bookmarked, and, and the Warriors missed a lot of shots, and I thought the Kings played pretty good defensively. It was more the Warriors were more patient, I thought, in, in Game 3, less frenetic. But I think Sacramento's ability to play so physically and to sustain it for a 48-minute game, a lot of that, I think, was just off of the emotion that was in that building, and they didn't quite have the same push at Chase without 18,000 of their fans egging them on, so to speak. Yeah, and the Warriors got a huge boost from Chase Center, as they have all year. I mean, they've they've kind of sputtered down the stretch on, of road games and had some lulls on road trips, but they've always written the ship at Chase Center. And I think that's what people expected them to do in Game 3 and what I expect them to do in Game 4 to even this series in a way, you know, it, it's kind of what you mentioned off the top of the show, J.D. It's like nothing's happened yet, according to Steve Kerr. Every team has held serve, and the series doesn't really start until someone breaks through that barrier. Neither team has done it thus far, even though I would argue the Warriors have be, have gotten closer to doing that than Sacramento. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You're down 2-1 in the series. Whether you feel like you had a chance in Game 1 or Game 2, you lost the game. Yeah, you lose a close game tomorrow, and you're down 3-1. Nobody cares whether you, oh, you almost won three times, and the one game you won yeah. was a blowout. You're up against it, and you got to win twice in a building that, that you haven't been able to win once in yet to this point in the series. So uh, a lot still to happen. Game four tomorrow, 888-957-9570. Let's keep it rolling here with Tyrone in Oakland on Warriors this week on 95.7 The Game. Hey, Tyrone. Hey, J.D. Hey, um, you kind of mentioned uh, uh, one of the, what looked better in the last game, and that was they were less frenetic. And everyone's been talking about uh, uh, Draymond's influence in terms of spacing, but I think it has to do with pace as well. His main strength in the offense is the way that he pushes the pace. And I think that that's an, he has made the adjustment that they can't do that anymore. The vets are too old. They can't go at that pace effectively. And then the younger guys just don't know how. So he's stuck in between doing what he does best, but that's not what the team needs anymore. And I think that's kind of gets to the bigger issue of how the, 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 the vets are adjusting to their new situation. That's going to be a talk for the offseason. But for me, it was the, you were right. They were less frenetic. Yeah, no, they, thanks for the call. They played slower but looked faster. Yeah. And, and the Kings are not good enough defensively to slow the Warriors down without the help. Like, that's just the reality. And, and I, I tip my cap to their intensity and competitiveness level, but the unforced turnovers and the bad shots – and yes, the the extra possessions on the other end that the Kings are able to get. The Kings are not good enough defensively without help mm-hmm. in this series, and and that's one thing. And you know, I asked Steve Kerr about it the other day when when I was filling in for for Willard, and he was on Willard Willard and Dibs that that show about the turnovers, and he said, you know, watching the film, they really are unforced, which kind of it put in the back of my mind that there is more of an opportunity for this team to clean that up than than meets the eye, and then they were able to go do it in Game 3, and it it looked different because they were able to get into their offense, and even though they didn't shoot the three ball well, they were able to get enough layups and easy buckets, and, and the layup line when the Warriors got into their offense in the first two games was 
it was right there. Like there were times in both of those games where the Kings couldn't stop anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and, and I think that look if you Steve Kerr said it before Game Three when he quoted John Wood and said, "Be quick, but don't hurry." And I think that fell into three separate areas that flipped the script from Game Two and honestly Game One to Game Three, and that's the offensive rebounds that killed them in Game One. You're looking at the turnovers that killed them in Game Two. And second chance points, which were honestly a plenty for Sacramento in games one and game two, all three of those areas the Warriors corrected and were significantly better than Sacramento in game three. Some of that is, you know, the, the ball bouncing the right way, some long rebounds the Warriors are able to get. Some of that is is out is Kevon Looney just outworking anyone down low between Sabonis, Len, Barnes, whoever is down there. Some of it's hitting shots, some of that is the Kings missing shots. But the Warriors in games one and two, in my opinion, didn't capitalize when the Kings had their kind of their lulls, when, when they weren't shooting the ball no well. No doubt. And the Warriors, especially cap- off the and rip. the Kings capitalized every time. They, are, better, they yeah. are the best team in the league at hitting you with a 6 0 run off of one mistake. They, like they'll hit a three, one mistake, they'll hit another three. And all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute, it was an eight point game, now it's a two point game. They're the best team in the league at doing that, which plays into the Warriors, as you mentioned earlier, who are the worst team in the league at giving that kind of thing up. Yeah, the, the many runs have killed them all year, and it's it's because now more than ever, and especially against a team like Sacramento, who's, who's a great offensive team, like they cannot get as many stops when they need to. They can, and they, they've been able to force some tough shots, some contested looks that the Kings have just made you know better better shots on. But I think that defensively, the Warriors, at least in Game 3, and it— not because of the absence of Draymond, but I think they realize that they they have to I, they have to tempt the Kings into getting jump shot happy, and the Kings have made three pointers all year. They haven't through the first three games of this series, but the first place my mind went to JD was last year in the finals where the Boston Celtics were a really good three point shooting team, and we kept waiting for that three point barrage game to come, and it never did. That's something that I'm going to keep an eye on for Game 4, 5, and, and hopefully uh, beyond if you're the Warriors. All right, he's Evan Giddings. I'm John Dickinson. We'll pause here. 888-957-9570. More phone calls. And uh, 707 on the Comcast Business text line. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the text. You <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Dared me that I wouldn't. That's all straight ahead. 95-7 the game. Now back to Warriors This Week on 95.7 The Game. All right, John Dickinson, Evan Giddings. Evan sitting in for Whitey Gleason. We appreciate that here on this Saturday is uh, game four of the first round of the NBA playoffs. Warriors-Kings tomorrow right here on 95.7 The Game. That's a 12.30 tip. So make sure you get there early. 
Stop by Harmonic Brewing in Thrive City. I'll be on the air at 11 o'clock. Have a, have a Kolsch with your buddy JD mm-hmm. and get yourself nice and ready to head into Chase Center and make an imprint on the game. The crowd was terrific on Thursday night. And one of the themes of the first three games of this series has been, hey, how many road fans are going to travel? And that's been a... <laughs> non-story to this point. No, it's been very, very few. And I, I, I wasn't too surprised that there weren't a lot of Warriors fans up in Sacramento. Um, one, it was you know pretty expensive from what I was seeing. Number two, I don't know how much urgency there was from Warriors fans in the first round. You know, of course, compared to Sacramento, this is the first time they've been here in a long time. They deserve to pack that place out. They deserve to have the energy. And I think there's a lot of Warriors fans that were saying, Oh, you know, we'll have a chance to see him in the second round, the Western Conference Finals, because we've always been here, right? We'll have plenty of chances to see our dubs, and I think that also, you know, maybe applied a little bit to Chase in the sense that the Kings knew that they're going to have Game 5. There's going to be another chance to see them, and I think both teams' fan bases are just kind of letting the other do their thing. Yeah, and I also, and maybe I'm giving Warrior fans too much credit with this next statement, but there was a thought I had that, to be perfectly honest, maybe the Warrior fans just out of respect were like, you know what, we're going to let y'all have your moment. Mm-hmm. Like, because the Warriors fan base would know probably better than any other fan base what the Kings fan base has gone through over the last almost two decades because they basically went through it from 1994 until 2012, 2013. Yeah. Yeah, I look, I mean, I, I remember what it was like the first time the Warriors made the playoffs in 13 and I was – you know, pretty young at the time, and I was hyped, and I was excited, and I, you know, my a few of my friends were at the game. I was in college, so I wasn't able to go, but you know, everyone was locked in. That was a Warriors fan to that game, and that was the hottest ticket in town. It, you know, it wasn't. I know it was Denver that they were playing in in the first round in 2013, as opposed to now having a an I 80 series. But I, I I I hear what you're saying about the respect, and and maybe both sides are, you know, maybe less inclined to try all, to invade. All bets are off on that now. By the way. <laughs> like that's one of those things yeah. that might have been cute to say coming into the series, but at this point, I think it feels like it's gotten a little personal back and forth between the fan bases more than more than maybe I would have anticipated. Yeah, that was something that I thought like I understand where both fan bases feel a bit maybe like they got to get into it with the other, but I also you know, would have thought you, because like you said with the connection between the two that there would be a little more cordial uh, communication between two sides, especially on social media. It's like, I, I mean, if if the Warriors weren't in the playoffs, JD, I would be rooting for the Sacramento Kings to advance as far as they can. And I, I imagine there's a lot of Kings fans, if they weren't in the playoffs, that would also say, hey, you know, the Warriors, look, they're a NorCal team, and I know they've been here before, but don't mind seeing them advance. But now there seems to be a little more aggression between the two sides. Yeah, I, I wonder about that now. I, I think there are a lot of Warrior fans that might have thought that way going into the series. Oh, like, not, not anymore. But I, I think now it's to a point where, no. Like, like all bets are off as far as maybe rooting like, there's for There's Warriors fans might be rooting for the Lakers, potentially, if, if uh, God forbid, of course, if the Kings win the series. Yeah, it's just, you know, it just seems like it's gotten... Little, little, little more personal than than would have been an anticipated, but uh, I think all, all in good fun, uh, and and yeah, I think it also stems from the fact that where it has gotten a little personal is that I think coming into the series, I think the Kings fans are like, we're probably not winning this series, but you win game one and you win game two, and you start putting your chest out a little bit and popping your collar a little bit, and you start feeling it, like hey. Our guys can win this series now. And so I think that changes the dynamics a little bit. And you look at how poorly the Warriors played, and, and the eye test was not kind to the Warriors in the first two games of the series. And no. so I, I think that level of confidence that wasn't there a week ago right now before the series had, had tipped off has started to seep in, and, and rightfully so. I mean, fans are going to be happy about their team playing well. And then I think the Warrior fans were like, Hey, we yeah, we like what you've done. We respect <laughs> you, but but we're winning this series. And then now they're threatened from game one and pissed off from game two, and then everything that happened in between game two and game three. And so I think that's where it's created this cocktail of hostility, which personally I'm all for.
Yeah, no, it, it creates an exciting series. I think it creates an exciting environment because there's a little bit of doubt on both sides now. I think there's a little bit of you know, tensity that's creeped into both of these home games, the one tomorrow and, of course, the one on Game 3. Like, I, I, I hear, I, I understand the beginning point of this with the, with the Kings fans feeling happy and excited, and then you win Game 1, and it's jubilation outside, and you're lighting the beam in Game 2, the same situation, and then there becomes a, an idea of, hey, like, you know, maybe maybe we actually we, we can win this series. And, and I'm sure there were some Kings fans that believed they could before the series, but there's a lot more now. And then on the Warriors' side, you're saying, well, who, who are these guys? I mean, th- there's a lot of that as well, yeah. even though the Warriors were in that situation a little over a decade there, ago. There's a lot of how are they doing it, I think, from the Warriors' fan point of view. And, and the truth is they have been doing it the way that they have did it in the first couple games all year. Just a majority of people in the Bay probably didn't see it and didn't know. Or didn't think if they did that it was sustainable, and it has been sustainable. At least it was in those in those first couple of games. No, you, you've watched every single Kings game this year. I, I haven't certainly watched as much Kings basketball, but th- there was a little bit of that in games one and two. Like, all right, when is when, when is this going to change? Like, when when are the Warriors going to take and, over? And, and it they never just, happened. And, and and they just you know, Goo was talking about it yesterday. Like, I'm I'm looking at this series, guys. It, how did they how, get two? How did they get two? And it's like, well, that's like they won. 20 games this year where you were like how'd they win that game and and to their credit clutch play they make their own breaks they're never dead in games even though it looks like they're they're dead in games sometimes they always kind of come back and make that run and they've been able to they've been able to do that a lot like that for them is not something that's off brand it's very much on brand and it's been a little on brand the other direction yes. for the Warriors this year, not in past years, but individually in the regular season, especially on the road, they have had trouble closing out games. The things that the Kings do well when they're when they're on are things that really hurt the Warriors when the Warriors are not playing well. And I think that's where this series set up to to definitely be a close one and and a long one, uh, regardless of who ends up coming out on top. All right, eight 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 nine five seven nine five seven zero. I'm going to get to that text message that I promised from the seven oh seven that I was dared I wouldn't read. But first, let's go back to the phones. Telmo and San Francisco up first here on 95.7 The Game, this segment. What's going on, Telmo? What's up, fellas? How you doing? Doing well. So, just kind of... my Ah, Telmo, we got to put you on hold. Telmo, we're going to put you on hold. And, yeah, Craig, pick up with Telmo. Bad connection. Uh, we'll 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 run you back. We appreciate you holding on as long as you have. We'll we'll sneak in Mitch in Jersey next year. What's going on, Mitch? Johnny Evan, how you guys doing? Thanks for taking my call. Hope it's a nice day over there too. Oh yeah, beautiful oh, yeah. day. Fantastic. We're getting into the seventies out here, Mitch, which is it's a beautiful thing. Foreign territory. Hey. Yeah, I visited San Francisco May one time. It was pretty cold. <laughs> uh, back in the day before I met my wife. Um, I say Clay and Steph gonna have to come up big, because I know I said this last week, and I agree with you. I guess I'm going back more than ten years when Steph and Clay first uh, got drafted. Um, it was in consecutive years, great draft choices. Well, that's how finally the Kings uh, have come along, and uh, the Northern California's got some good teams. They don't really seem to be losing teams, you know, Raiders now the A's, you know. Maybe the A's should just share the park with with the Giants in the meantime. Could have done that a long time ago, but I'm sorry about another team that's uh, leaving Oakland. But it should be, it's a great series, I think, so far. And you can't depend on Green. I think Green's a bit washed up. All right. Thanks for the call. Which one? Jamichael? <laughs> you know, Jamichael Green didn't play great the other night necessarily, but I. But who cares? He got in there and he battled. He, he missed a three. He did what they needed he, him to he do. G- he gave up an and one, but it's just that that's the whole kitchen sink mentality of it. Like it wasn't really about the individual numbers and the rotation and the plus minus. If, if you'd stunk or hadn't played in the first couple games, you were probably going to get at least a little bit run in game three because the Warriors were so shorthanded. And I thought everybody that got on the court made a positive impact. And and even even Jamichael Green, I know he was talking about Draymond Green. Yeah, I know. No, no, you're right though. It's it was all hands on deck. And because of Draymond's absence, there's a lot more minutes to go around. So you were gonna see Jamichael Green. I know fans maybe didn't want to see, but you were gonna see Anthony Lamb who had a block on Harrison Barnes. Like it it, it was kind of that game where they just it felt like they pieced the bench together 
And they got contributions from everyone. Dante DiVincenzo was great. Three offensive rebounds. Moses Moody and Jonathan Kamingo, who I'm sure we'll talk about, were able to contribute meaningful playoff minutes at the same time. I believe for the first time this postseason, that was a huge plus. And I'm sure being at home created a, a sense of comfort for all of those role players. Vice versa, you didn't see Malik Monk play as well as he did at home for Sacramento. Yeah. You didn't see the role players for the Kings play as well on the road. Um you know, but you know, as it as it pertains to Draymond Green, yes, in that game it didn't look like they missed him, but you didn't hear that from the way that they were speaking about his absence prior to. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at just the three point shooting from Malik Monk, yikes, Davion Mitchell, and Trey Lyles, who had all in some form killed the Warriors in the first two games, especially Monk and especially Trey Lyles, and I'm looking at. What is that? 0 for 8, 1 of 13. 1 of 13 from 3 not, for those three combined after they had, had been major factors in the first couple of games of the series. And, and Lyles basically had allowed the Kings to get away with getting nothing from Keegan Murray in the first now three games of this series. He's looked a little overwhelmed and has become, I mean, we talked about the Warriors playables and, and it looked after game two like the Warriors weren't, it looks like the Warriors may have found some playables in the end of game two and game three in Moses Moody in particular, and just the way that they made it the kitchen sink game, like we're talking about. And the Kings maybe are having to look in the mirror, not on Lyles or Monk, but, but maybe on Keegan Murray that, that they might have to go away from him. He hadn't played a lot because he hasn't played well, but even that is starting potentially to, to even up a, a little bit. Let, let's roll to Tim in San Jose next here on Warriors this week at 95.7 The Game. Hey, Tim. Morning, Jens. How are you? Doing well. Good, man. So, uh, I, you, know, you guys were talking earlier about this uh, the, the rivalry between uh, Sacramento and, and the Bay, and I think I figured it out where it all started. It started when E-40 got kicked out in Game 1, man. As soon as E-40 got kicked out, social media blew up. People started disowning, you know, people from the Bay just started disowning SAC. Back folks started saying they were never repping the Bay anyway, and it just kind of went downhill from there. I, I think you pinpointed it, Tim. What else you got, Tim? I said, man, I'm looking forward to this game. I think uh, I think that, that we found a little bit of magic yesterday and eliminating, you know, being being uh, without Dray, without Draymond. Maybe we can uh, incorporate a little bit more of that and, uh, and get back to Sacramento tied two two. Thanks, Tim. Tim and San Jose checking. I think Tim pinpointed the the moment in which it all turned. I, I think that I think the E forty thing in game one was absolutely a thing. Mm-hmm. I think the Kings fans starting to feel like they had an opportunity after they won the first game. And then of course everything that happened with, with Draymond and Sabonis at the end of game two and, and the iconic image of Draymond on the scoreboard in Sacramento <laughs> smiling as I don't know, a couple hundred Kings fans are giving him the double bird. Yeah, it, it certainly didn't help, let's put it that way. And especially with E-40 getting removed and you know the, the alleged reasons behind it all, creating some separation between the two. But but I'll say this, like it, if if you think that NorCal and the Bay Area are the same, I, I can't help you. Like, if, all right, I'll, I'll just tell a story, go off to college, First day, I'm, I'm I'm with my teammates, and you know, so I played baseball in college. Drop, and then, bloop, and then first day initiation, someone comes up to me and says, "Hey, where are you from?" I'm trying to meet new teammates, and say, "Oh yeah, I'm from the Bay Area." He goes, "Me too." I say, "Oh, where? You know, where? Yeah, you're South Bay, at East Bay, you know, San Francisco. Where are you from?" He says, "Sacramento," and we both look at each other, and I say, "I'm from El Cerrito." That like. It, they're two hours apart. They're, they're you, you, not close. You might as well have been from Indianapolis at that point. You might as well have been from Reno. I like I. I they are such a large place. There's such a chasm between the two, both geographically as well as culturally. And I just think that fans, even though there's some appreciation for where both franchises have been, there is that that geographical divide to the point where, yeah, like if E40 gets tossed out. And if Draymond Green's screaming at Kings fans, there is going to be this added sense of aggression between the two sides. I'm glad it hasn't spilled over and gotten you know physical by any means. But to your point earlier and from our first segment, Jay, like, yeah, there's going to be a little kind of rivalry building that was already dormant 
and really the only reason was because the Kings weren't good when the Warriors were good, and then the Warriors also weren't good when the Kings were good back in the day. And I and I do think the fact that that the Warriors have been what they've become over the last decade with the Kings in in some ways as bad as they've ever been, even with Vivek Ranadive taking over and the new arena, which is terrific. I think there has still, you know, I, I do think it's it's natural for there to be a little bit of jealousy as to, oh, wait a minute, like we're still stuck in the dracks here, and mm-hmm. now this team that was basically a bigger market version of us is a freaking dynasty, <laughs> and so I think that I think that does play you know play a role, and I because you know, there were times where, and I may have a unique perspective, there were times where I think a lot of people in Sacramento were kind of pulling for the Warriors and hey like the like the style of play and whatever I think as as that time went on and the the Durant shift and different things I do think Kings fans maybe became a little bit more like the rest of the country in that respect yeah no to your point about the mid market so to speak the Warriors wore that team the little engine that did and then became a dynasty like I think a lot of teams are understandably a little you know they they want that right like the kings were in a place the warriors were and now they're trying to build something and and credit to them hopefully they're able to but the warriors skipped i think in many people's minds a lot of steps to becoming a dynasty sure they won their first championship but then they leveled up and got Durant and that drew their the ire from the entire league from the entire country from all basketball fans and so now even though they're on the other side of that and Last year's championship sort of affirmed what they did, I think, before the Kevin Durant era. I think there's still a lot of people that are saying, hey, like what you guys were able to accomplish should not happen. That that isn't the way that things work in the NBA. And they're a little bit jealous of that. I, I think that's I think that's fair, and I, I hope that doesn't offend Sacramento fans. Eight at eight, nine five seven, nine five seven zero. They also view their team as an up and comer. And and you know, maybe somebody that that's going to be pretty good for the next decade as well. And so there is that that caught in the the timeline of oh, maybe the Warriors are falling off. Maybe we're going to be the new hot thing, which I think plays a plays a role in it. And we'll see how this series shakes out. Duck Sauce San Jose next here on ninety five seven The Game. What's going on, Duck Sauce? Hey, what's going on, JD Evan? Thanks for taking my call. Good morning to you guys. Got it. Back at you. Um, a couple things. Uh, uh, the first thing is, you know, last couple of days I've been hearing all these people talking about Draymond, you know, needs to come off the bench now. I, you know, I just, I don't think that's realistic. Like, I don't see that happening. But I, to, to JD's point earlier, I thought it was a good point. You know, they, they can't slow us down all the way without us shooting ourselves in the foot a little bit. So I think he does need to take a step back and, and look at, you know, I can't try to hit the home run pass every time or thread the needle every time if there's a chance we could turn the ball over. Because if we protect the ball, they I just don't think they're going to be able to slow us enough, slow us down enough, you know, kind of to what JD said. And the other thing, uh, I think Monk kind of came down to earth. I mean, as good as he's been, uh, you know, there's a reason he's a journeyman in this league. It's because he's unreliable. He's inconsistent, and that's going to continue to happen. Now he may have another big game, but it's very possible he's going to have a terrible game. Uh, and the last thing I, I am concerned is. Uh, I don't know if Herter is going to continue to shoot this poorly because as good as our intensity was, I, I still thought he got a lot of open looks and he just couldn't hit nothing. And, and it was to the point where they started running action for him, you know, around 17 feet just to get him going. Like they were running curls inside the three-point line just to see if he could get him going by hitting a closer shot. So I'm hoping that, you know, that, that he stays cold, but I'm a little worried about that. Uh, that's, that's all I got, guys. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for the call, Duck Sauce. Yeah, Malik Monk is a... He's an erratic player. He might go for 35. He might be one for nine. Like, that's just reality, and you don't know what it's going to be. To this point, it's been better at home and, and bad on the road. That could just as, as easily flip. I know he had the monster game of his season in that 176 to 175 game, so he can mm-hmm. do it on the road. They, they won that game against the Clippers down in L.A. As far as Herder goes, and I mentioned this to Steiny and Goo yesterday in, in watching – Mike Brown talk about his team and their three-point shooting through the first three games of the series, it does remind me of Warriors playoff series past, and not that the Kings deserve the the benefit of the doubt at the level that, that the Warriors would get with two of the greatest shooters of, of all time and Stephen Clay, but the tone of, we're getting good looks, 
eventually they're going to go down and it could be an avalanche once they do that that is the the at least the message he's trying to to give to his team to to keep them confident but i i just remember all these series where the warriors struggled for a couple of games what's going on with the shot these guys are not making shot da, da, da. and then the warriors would have a couple of games after that at least one where they'd hit 23s and it would completely change the complexion a little bit of of a series i do think you have to hold out for Herder's part of that, the the Kings being due for that three point make game in the eighteen to twenty two range, but so are the Warriors. The Warriors have have had a, a couple of sixteens, but inefficient sixteens. Yeah, no, I I, th- I think it's look the Kings right now are shooting twenty seven percent from three in the series. Like that's, that's they're not, much better than that. They are much better than that. And Kevin Herter is much better than that. He's been interesting to watch because coming into this series, if you're looking at the experience versus inexperience conversation between these two sides, Kevin Herter outside of Barnes is the only guy that's been deep in the postseason. He was with the Hawks a couple of years ago when they made it to the conference finals. Like He's the only real guy that has experience in these situations. He's also a career 38.5% three-point shooter, and he can't find water if he fell out of a boat right now. That, I don't know if it's going to, I would assume it's going to change, but I also think that if you're looking at the inexperience for Sacramento, I think the three-point shooting is where it shows a little bit. Now, it's been more drastic than I thought it was going to be, but some of those numbers are going to come down. The palms get a little bit sweatier. You're going to miss some of those open looks, and you're you're a little more tense, especially on the road. But like I said at the beginning of, of, of the show, J.D., it's like last year I think we were expecting the Boston Celtics to have a game where the avalanche of threes came, and it never did. I was expecting it to be either game five, maybe game six, and it never happened. Well, if it doesn't happen, they're dead. The Warriors are winning the series. And yeah, it, sorry, it, the, the Kings are dead. Yeah. yeah. If 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 it doesn't happen, the Warriors are winning the series. Like the Kings are gonna have to have a game where they make close to twenty at an efficient rate if they're gonna win the series. Now it might be tomorrow, and then all of a sudden the Warriors are in trouble if they can't either match it or do enough other things to find a way to win the game anyway, as they've been able to do at home this season, but not really on the road. All right, one hour in the books, 888-957-9570. PG and Stewart, you guys are coming up right out of the break. It's John Dickinson and Evan Giddings. It's Warriors this week on 95.7 The Game. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 